Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, another win to break down. Actually, the, the first time since the preseason here uh, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 27. Kicking off the show, we've got Greg Cosell and Chalk Talk, where this week we are going to go through exactly what the Eagles need to do to get a win down in FedEx Field when they take on the Washington Redskins. Uh, second up, we've got two technique with Eagles defensive end Brandon Bear. Uh, I talked to him before last week's game where he got his first start of his career uh, and had a, a really good game, three pass deflections, and we talked about defending the stretch run game. So excited for you guys to hear that conversation. And then we close out the show with Saturday scouting where we have Matt Zenitz from the Alabama Media Group and AL.com talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide. So, uh, BT, we'll talk some college football here as I bring in my favorite guy in the room, Brian Thomas. What's up, BT? Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Yeah, that's uh, they got a big game this week too. Yeah, they they that's, take that's, on Georgia. That, that's a that's a big game. Uh, Georgia's looking good. So, and obviously, they took the loss to uh, Alabama. Took the loss to uh, Ole Miss. So, yep. it should be uh, it's a good couple good games this week. You know, well, Notre Dame, Clemson. For well, for Georgia's sake, the, look, they always they they look good in the beginning of the year, and it's and how they, they have finish. that one crushing loss towards the end. So it's you, you hope for their sake that that is not the case. But yeah, they've got Notre Dame as well. Has got a big game. There's, there's a lot of big games. This is going to be a good weekend of college football. Last week was not as great. So no, it was unfortunately, and I had all of Saturday in the hotel uh, to watch college football, and I did, but it wasn't that the, as there great were, as late. There were, there were no, you know, especially the, the late games, the uh, West Coast games. You know, uh, Arizona State playing against uh, USC, dud. No, USC, uh, USC was, came, and then uh, UCLA swamped uh, yes. Arizona. Utah, uh, Utah Oregon. Utah yeah. Oregon was a tough one too. Yeah, was Oregon. One. That was surprising. Yeah. Well, uh, again, you know, before we get into all that. Uh, you know, because we have plenty of time to talk college football. Uh, obviously, a big big win for the Eagles uh, up at MetLife Stadium against the New York Jets. Uh, a game that, look, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't always pretty, but a win's a win. I thought that the offense uh, took the next step. You saw the offensive line start to come together a little bit, guys executing their jobs a little bit better than they did, especially last week against Dallas. Uh, I thought that the, the run game was able to get going because you had a number of different schemes that worked really well against what the Jets do well. So really, really interesting to see that. But Let's dive deeper into that game and then also looking forward to the Washington Redskins with Chalk Talk and Greg Cosell. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. And Greg, uh, welcome here to week four. We're already close to the quarter pole here for the 2015 NFL season. It's uh, it's pretty crazy to say that. We are, and I imagine the conversation we'll be having about the Eagles is probably not exactly the one we thought we might be having after the preseason. Sure. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting. We were talking about this, actually, uh, on the trip back from New York. The Eagles win this week down in Washington. It's 2-2. Two and two. Now that 0-2 oh start. You're all, not forgivable yet, but you're, you, you, see the, you start to see the light, especially in a division where uh, things are absolutely still there for the taking. Yeah, and there's no question that it, this division could be one of those where 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven wins the division. But we know, we know that the standard here for the Eagles is higher than just that. So, uh, but again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Right now, this is a team still 
looking to win as many as they can. And it's even though they're on the road, it's a very winnable game against the Redskins coming up Sunday. Yeah, no question. Now, it'll be very interesting because we will talk a little bit about, about the Redskins, but I want to first focus on the win against the New York Jets. We saw the run game uh, take the next step. I thought you saw better execution, I thought, uh, across the board up front. Now you lose Andrew Gardner, and so you see Matt Tobin step into the rotation there at right guard. Uh, you hope, and the Eagles are obviously hoping – uh, that Matt Tobin reaches that form that he had last preseason uh, in t- 2014, where look, I mean, I, I remember watching him and thinking this guy can play right now. Uh, he had the he had the foot injury at the end of the preseason, ended up going on injured reserve midway through the season, and it really hasn't reached that level since. Uh, so excited now to see how he reacts to being the guy. But uh, saw a lot of outside zone from the Eagles a this ton. past week, and that was a big that was a big difference. A, a ton. Uh, and a lot of those would almost look like sweeps. Right. And obviously it's something uh, that uh, Chip felt would be effective against the Jets' defense. He did not want to attack inside, where I'm sure he did not feel the matchups favored him. A very big athletic group inside for the Jets. Um, and again, their run game was better, and we. but I think we do need to inject a little bit of honesty into the conversation. It's still... There are still concerns, without question. This is not the fluid run game we saw certainly two years ago and probably in the second half of last season where it seemed as if every run gained five yards. Right. Uh, it, there, it's still a work in progress. I mean, even Ryan Matthews' 27-yard run, his long run of the game, uh, give Matthews all the credit in the world, but Demario Davis was sitting there clean in the hole, and when you run that run, a linebacker is not supposed to be sitting clean in the hole. Right, no question about it. So, uh, you know, and there were a number of those plays where uh, Matthews was able to run through arm tackles yep. and make make people miss. He made a couple of play, players miss uh, on that 27-yarder on the first drive of the game. But uh, just really good to see them get the outside zone going. You saw that uh, throughout Chip Kelly's career at Oregon, and that was really their staple run play that kind of made everything else go. Um, I'm excited to see if that does become their staple moving forward and then how they're able to build off that. The the big thing, too, you talked about the strength up front for that New York Jets uh, defense. Also, I think the A-gap pressure, and you saw a number of those outside zone runs where there was A-gap pressure right. coming, and now the running back is able to out-leverage that pressure because you're already taking them on that outside track. And I'm sure that was part of the plan Yeah, because this was a team you had to expect going into the game the way the Eagles had played the first two weeks and certainly the way Sam Bradford had been playing, very unsettled, uh, and that's still a concern, by the way, that the Jets would focus their pressures up the middle, and obviously one way in the run game to defeat that is to get outside the pressure because then there's more bodies in the middle, less pursuit to the perimeter, and the Eagles had success doing that. Let me ask a question. So, uh You've obviously been watching the tape for a long, long time. We won't put a number on it to, uh, a long to, time. to protect yourself there. Um, but when you look at a quarterback like Bradford, who we know, you know, especially you know, coming out of Oklahoma, he was known for his accuracy. Uh, during his times in St. Louis, there were times where he was very, very accurate. And then other times, obviously, whether, you know, depending on whatever the situation was, he had injury issues as well. But has always been known as an accurate guy. We saw that accuracy. Uh, throughout the summer here, both in, in training camp and in the preseason. A lot of inaccurate throws, especially on, the, on those vertical concepts, those deep digs. A couple uh, of digs. Down those, yeah, they were, I mean, they, so they were there, and they were underthrown a little bit. 
not necessarily when you know when I watch it, I don't see like oh man, the guy looks really skittish in the pocket. Right. He, you know, his feet are all over. I don't see that. So it's you're just, asking me why? Yeah. So it, is that and is that something? Is it almost kind of like a a jump shooter in basketball or uh, you know maybe a slugger in baseball where you know hey he's just kind of in a slump right now and he can work himself out of it. The why part, in all honesty, is it's tough. I don't right. know if I can answer that. Sure. It's, it's just when we sit and watch tape, and I, I watch tape of almost every team, as you know, not just the Eagles. Right. So very often we'll see quarterbacks not throw a ball to open receivers when that's the design of of the play clearly. And we always say, I don't know what's in his head. I don't know the answer to that. Right. But one thing I will say about Sam Bradford, and I said it before he was even traded to the Eagles, before I knew he'd be an Eagle, when I was just talking about Bradford, the quarterback, is since he's come to the NFL, he's not been as accurate as he was in college on a consistent basis. He has been a little skittish in the pocket. Everybody wrote it off to the fact that he played behind a poor Rams O-line, but he developed what we call little cabin fever where he would start to perceive pressure and he wasn't comfortable in the pocket. So that sort of continued. And now that he's had two knee injuries, I mean, I'll give you an example. Even the touchdown he threw to Matthews, if you look at that play closely, he threw that ball and he picked his front leg up almost as soon as he released the ball. He, he was, I don't want to say he was afraid because I don't know what's in his head. Right. But he was very conscious, let's put it that way, of the fact that there was pressure. And you can't play quarterback in the NFL, particularly when you're a pocket quarterback, when you're conscious of pressure. Because what starts to happen is you perceive pressure when it's not there. You hurry throws with poor fundamentals, and that's when your accuracy really declines. Yeah, and that's why I'm I'm interested to see how he pulls out of it, and you know, hopefully, if he pulls out of it. But uh, you know, because we know what he can be. You know, and so that, and that's what I think Eagles fans are are, are hoping to see. He was uh, a consensus hoping, number one. Everybody yeah. would have taken him number one coming out of Oklahoma. And, and look, we we got to see it with our own eyes back in August. I mean, we saw ten for ten with three touchdowns against the the Packers first team defense. So, uh, you know, I think that people are hoping that you know we're not expecting ten for ten for three touchdowns uh, week in and week out. Right. But uh, you know, I'll be interested to see. Can he work out of it? Because I, I, I do think that's the big thing is you, you're missing some of those some of those throws and even the ones where he, he is able to connect. He's missing routine you, throws. Yeah, but then you have some where he does connect and he does hit it and it's dropped. And it's just a, a combination of everything and it's preventing the team from uh, really starting to string plays together, string sequences well, of plays together. you know, the concern right now, and again, they won the game and that's all you want to do every Sunday in this league, but – I don't think you can overlook some of the concerns. The reality is that the Eagles have more three and outs than any team in the NFL. Uh, 35% of their drives, of their possessions, have been three and out. The next team in that area is the Cleveland Browns, believe it or not. So the Eagles are not in good company. They've not been able to sustain offense. And this is something they have to continue to work through. Hopefully it comes around, but... Bradford's going to have to be better. I think despite the rushing yardage this week, that still needs to get significantly better as well. You mentioned the 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 uh leading the t- leading the league in three and outs and that puts even more of an importance on how well the defense has played. Uh you know, I think that it's gotten better each week, uh both against the run and through the pass. I thought the secondary played 
on Sunday as well as pretty much any secondary we've seen under Chip Kelly here. Uh, I thought the personnel, you know, Maxwell, I thought probably had his best game in the three games. I thought Nolan Carroll had his best game as an Eagle. We saw a great place from Eric Rowe in the secondary as well. Uh, Walter Thurman coming up with another interception. You know, Malcolm Jenkins making plays as well. Uh, really just impressed overall with that group. And we saw some new uh, wrinkles from a schematic yeah. standpoint. And I think, I think there's some reality and then there's some temperate. And I'll, and I'll explain. Okay. Clearly, in the second half, they went away from playing their predominant man concepts. Right. Now, we saw a lot of changes in personnel because Maragos got hurt. So what happens in their nickel, they brought Jenkins back to safety and played biggers in the, at slot. Right. But then they wanted to play dime as well. So what they did when they went dime is they brought Carroll inside, and they, that's when the rookie row went in and played outside. Right. Now, they played a ton more zone concepts in the second half, and I thought it was really effective against this particular opponent. And this is where you have to temper it a little. Ryan Fitzpatrick is by no means a come-from-behind quarterback. He's not a real accurate thrower, and he doesn't have – a real big arm, so when he's forced to throw against disciplined zone coverage, he's going to throw some to you. Sure. And that's what happened. Which Now, you talked about Eric Rowe. He made two plays that I'm sure everybody remembers, where he knocked down a vertical, a fade throw to Devin Smith, and he made an interception to Devin Smith. Right. Now, he was beaten both times. The ball was underthrown both times. Now, you still have to make the play. Those are the kinds of plays where I'm always fascinated by how players are coached then in the week after because Rowe was beaten off the line of scrimmage. And the thing that really struck me, unrelated to the Eagles, was that Devin Smith, known for speed, never really accelerated on any of those, right. on either one of those, but, but Rowe was beaten. You know, is he coached by saying great play or do they say, hey, let's work on that technique because if you continue to get beat off the line of scrimmage, sooner or later you're going to have a problem. Right, right. You know, I I think looking at that and just seeing him in his first game action. Just I, having success. Exactly. That, that's the bottom line point. Right. And, right. you know, you just see him. You, you, he got beat initially, and you saw him. You know, he's out of phase, and he trusts his technique. He's able to work to get back in good position there uh, to put himself in position to make the play, to make the interception. I think that, and you saw Carroll make the same exact play yep. uh, along the same sideline in the same part of the field uh, where you know he gets beat off the line of scrimmage. He's in, he's out of phase. He's got his eyes on the on the receiver. He gets in position. He looks back. He finds the ball and he makes a play on it. So, but I love the fact, Fran, that they played zone. It it fit the game. Because the idea is to right. win every Sunday. And, and in this league, as you well know, you have to make adjustments in games. And the great coaches do that. And I thought that in this particular game, switching to playing more predominant zone coverage concepts in the second half was a really smart move by Bill Davis. And it was the right move against that quarterback with the score being what it was. So you talk about this particular game. Well, this particular game coming up on Sunday is against Washington. Uh, we saw that offense last Thursday night against the New York Giants, led by Kirk Cousins, a guy who probably had his best, the best game of his career last year at Lincoln Financial Field where he threw for uh, it was th- it was 330-plus, and he, he had a number of big plays in that game. Uh, did not have a superior performance on Thursday night uh, against the New York Giants. So uh, what have you seen from Cousins through three games? Obviously – not lighting the world on fire, no. but is there something there uh, with Washington, uh, with Cousins moving forward? Cousins is a compliment. He, he, he needs a run game, 
and he really needs a defense to, to be effective. He's not a, what we call a lead quarterback. Um, he's, he's the kind of quarterback that needs to be very, very precise with his reads and very, very precise with his throws. And one thing that stands out the more you watch Kirk Cousins, and one reason he has not really been successful up to this point as a starting quarterback is the ball placement is nowhere near as precise as it needs to be for that kind of quarterback. And I think there's one thing that really stands out on film that is troublesome if you can pressure him up the middle, and I believe that Bill Davis will do this, is he escapes backwards. That's the cardinal. The cardinal rule. You cannot escape it. backwards out of the pocket. Yeah, and he has a bad tendency to do that, and nothing good comes from that. No, and then you, you look at their run game, obviously, and that's where offensively, this is where they're they're looking to. The rubber uh, meets the road. Yeah, exactly right. This is the uh, uh, where they're looking to make their money here in the run game. You've got Alfred Morris, obviously the veteran, but uh, Matt Jones, a guy that we both liked coming out of Florida last year. I think both of us were a little surprised he went in the third round. Surprising that we had, neither of us had heard that he was going to go that high, but both shook our head and said, yeah, that he makes sense. was one of the sense. last runners I watched, Yeah, and I, I remember saying in my notes that if he goes to the right team, He's going to be a successful back. Yeah, and you know he's he's obviously he's had some success early. Had a bad fumble last week going into the end zone against the Giants, but uh, had a huge week the week before yep. against the St. Louis Rams. A, a downhill physical guy breaks a lot of tackles. Really tough to bring down in the open field. Uh, and a little sp- more juice than you think. Yeah, right for a bigger guy. Yeah, yeah, no question. And as we, you and I have discussed, uh, they've been very successful with the zone run game. They like to run it to the weak side yep. away from the tight end. And they've been able to do it pretty well for the most part. And that's something that we know Bill Davis will be keyed on to defend with the Eagles defense. You don't want to let them get their run game going because then Cousins can can be an effective quarterback. If you can stop the zone run game, force Cousins to have to get into third and longs, then your defense is going to win more often than not. And the other guy in that backfield that – uh, has seems to have really taken the next step is, is Chris Thompson, the young guy from, oh, from Florida State. Interesting that, player. You know, we, we both liked. Uh, he had an injury, a bad injury his junior year, and then, uh, it was a neck injury. I believe he broke a vertebrae. It was something, something pretty serious. And then he missed a good chunk of his senior year, I believe, with a concussion. Uh, he had two pretty serious injuries coming out of college, but uh, really electric, dynamic playmaker for the Seminoles. Uh, I can remember a big game, actually, they had against Wake Forest his senior year before he got hurt. Um, and now you're seeing him. He's, a, I believe, he's the third leading receiver on this team. They move him all around the formation. He's the third down back yeah, for the most part. Exactly. They do a number of different things with him. Uh, really interesting player. He's turned out to be for this team. And the other player who you have to really be careful of is Jordan Reed. No doubt. Uh, and Jordan Reed, through three games, has been their most dangerous weapon on offense. He's that new breed tight end. Lines up all over the formation, including split wide, where he's the single receiver. And if you're going to play man, which you know the Eagles have predominantly done, putting aside the second half last week, then if you're going to match up when he's split wide to the boundary, the short side of the field, and there's three wide receivers to the other side of the field, then if you're going to play man, you're going to get a safety on him more than likely. I think in the Eagles' case, it would be Malcolm Jenkins because he's the, be- the best cover corner, uh, best cover safety, excuse me. And Reed can win matchups against safeties yeah now he can certainly win against linebackers we've seen that too but he is a very dangerous receiver I think on third down and manageable 
He's the receiver that Cousins will likely look to because if you get the third and five, that's probably for the Eagles a man-to-man situation. So then you're going to look to read whether he's matched against a safety or a linebacker. Yeah, and the, the thing that struck me about Reed is just how much they rely on him in that offense. Uh, obviously, he's been their leading receiver. He's got 19 catches for 241 yards, 12.7 yards per catch, and a touchdown. You talked about the ability to line him up out wide as an ex-ISO receiver, but not even just when he's at that, that ex-ISO spot, but sometimes when he's lined up just on the line of scrimmage as a tight yep. end with his hand on the ground, they'll run max protect and he'll be forced to run an isolation route and he'll win. Yep. So, I mean, he, and, you know, they use him in the screen game, uh, the shallow crosses, all kinds of different ways to try and get the ball in his hands vertically down the field. He does a number of different things. And really I think well. one thing in this game, if you're Bill Davis, you have to be real conscious of and really drill your defense. Their big plays are not going to come on third and long. Their big plays are going to come on orchestrated shot plays on first and ten. So you have to be real conscious formationally and with their route concepts, which are often post-cross, corner cross, the kind of route concepts that you run on first and 10 off play action with maximum protection. That's the way the Redskins with Cousin try to get their big explosive plays, and you have to be real conscious of that because the last thing you want to give up when you're playing the Redskins is a 60-yard touchdown pass on first and 10. And flipping over the defensive side of the football, uh, they added a lot of beef up front in that defensive line. I mean, Terrence Knighton, uh, Temple made another Temple defensive lineman they'll be going up against this week in Knighton. Uh, big guy who surprises you sometimes with his movement, but so hard to move at the point of attack. Uh, and he's that nose tackle in that base front. Jason Hatcher, Stephen Paella, uh, Ricky Jean Francois. They, I mean, they've got a number they've of got guys. A Chris Baker. They they rotate those guys in and out. Uh, and they get a lot of production from that front three. Yeah, and it's it's been a very Vanilla defense, for want of a better term. They don't blitz very much at all through three games. It's a lot like the Atlanta defense we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's an execution defense. Correct. They play a ton of cover three, and it's you know very basic what yep. they do. Yeah, and uh, I believe D'Angelo Hall will be out this yep, week. Yep, exactly. So it looks so, like Prashad Breland. So Breland will play outside. They've been played Will Blackman now uh, in the slot, uh, and they mostly played nickel with him. A few snaps a dime with Jarrett, the rookie from Virginia Tech, is the – the next guy, but it's mostly been nickel. Uh, and like we said, they don't really attack the quarterback a whole lot. They don't have a great pass rusher. Kerrigan can be at times, but he's not an explosive edge player. So they really rely on coverage. And, you know, I don't know how much they'll line up and play man-to-man. You know, a lot of teams play man against the Eagles, uh, but certainly the Falcons didn't. Now the next two opponents did, the Cowboys and the Jets, the Jets, that's part of their M.O., uh, and the Cowboys have really evolved into much more of a man team, so both those teams weren't stepping outside of character. The Redskins, to me, are not a high-percentage man-to-man coverage team. So let me ask you this. For, uh, for I guess the, the casual fan will then ask, okay, well, if a, if a team is going to play more zone and we haven't seen uh, a team that has done that as much, is that good or bad for what zone, what Sam Bradford's going through right now and his accuracy? Well, I guess if, if you want to be optimistic, you look at the second half against the Falcons. Right. When the Falcons played a ton of zone, uh, and Sam was as sharp as he's been in any half this year in just sort of peppering the defense with six, seven, eight-yard completions. No big plays, but 
sustaining type. You know, th- there were three drives, I guess, in the second half of that game. I think it was three where the Eagles offense, for the most part, looked like what we expect the Eagles offense to look like. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. So if they're going to play zone, but they could also do that believing, Fran, that what they've seen on film, that the Eagles are not going to run 12 or 13 or 14 successful plays in a row and score. And in fact, there's nothing that would lead you to believe based on their last, uh, what is it, two games? Two games, yep. That they're really going to do that. Right. So, uh, well, that'll be, I guess, the beacon of hope then for Eagles fans is you want to see that second half, Sam Bradford, really that second half of the Atlanta game, that whole entire Eagles offense uh, show up on Sunday against the Washington Redskins. Uh, Before I let you go here, we've got another minute or so. Uh, Anything interesting that you saw? It's another broad question. Anything interesting you see watching tape from uh, around the league this week? Uh, Well, I'll tell you one team that the Eagles are going to play in in not too many weeks down the road, which – I think offensively they've become really fascinating to watch and difficult to defend, and that's the Carolina Panthers. Really? Okay. They well, are why. the best team in the league at incorporating what most would consider college principles, all these backfield actions, read option, triple option, quarterback power, jet sweep, often within the same play. Interesting. And so, uh, you know, it's funny. I was watching – the Redskins defense against Miami and, you know, seeing all the different things Miami does with Tannehill, they'll incorporate some of those sweep reads and power reads for the quarterback run game with different pass concepts based off of that. So you're seeing, a lot I, of I the think same Carolina, Carolina does it as well or better than any team in the league. Okay. And I think they understand what Cam Newton is and what Cam Newton isn't, because even though he can certainly make throws, he's certainly not a precision passer, like a Tom Brady type player. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so, what they're doing with all these backfield actions is also maximizing opportunities in the pass game because it puts major stress on defenses. And their eyes become so important when you're a defender. What do you see? How do you react to it? All it takes in the NFL is one step in the wrong direction, as you know, and then there's an opening for a a throw. But the way they've worked in all these principles, these backfield actions and run game dimensions is really the better way to say it. It's really interesting to watch. They've become an offense that's fun to watch. Very, very interesting. Well, uh, a few more weeks down the road, we'll take a closer that's look. That's what, at maybe Carolina. week seven or eight? It's not that far no, down the road. It's not too far, and it, it will be here before we know yep. if uh, the first four weeks have uh, told us anything. So, uh, Greg Grosell, appreciate the time once again here on Chalk Talk. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Fran. It's probably the case that you downloaded this podcast for Greg, but I hope that you stay for the rest of the show. We've got some great stuff to come here on the podcast. First up, B, uh, give us the scoop here. What do we have this week on iTunes? How, have people been uh, ranking the show and leaving comments? Well, not, another good uh, another good handle, Write Him, wrote on iTunes. Uh, pure awesome sauce. Never really cared for podcasts, but I love hearing the show. So I'm a huge fan, uh, huge fan of the Eagles, but becoming a bigger fan of the sport and thoroughly enjoy you and Greg Cosell's Chalk Talk, which helps me understand the game on an even deeper level. I don't have any suggestions to make it better because I love it as it is. Keep it going. So awesome. I think uh, Greg does a great job of just breaking things down in a literal sense and sometimes not having um, not having something to look at can make it difficult, but I think the conversation of just you guys talking through things uh, just helps fans kind of understand more. So it's great that write him. I obviously wrote in and uh, gave us his opinion. So fans write in what you like, what you don't like. I think uh, Two Technique is a big fan of mine in terms of the segment we added this year oh, yeah. into the show. So just getting into the, the players' minds, but 
write in what your thoughts are, good and bad, and uh, we'll uh, we'll cater to you guys. No, absolutely. And it was uh, that was that was a great comment. I, you know, I really. Uh, I think I have to do a better job sometimes of when Greg says something. I, the layman's so people terms. have brought that up too on on iTunes is, uh, you know, when he says, "Oh, we all know what four three under is." Well, not everybody knows what four three under is. So uh, I will do a better job at digging deeper with Greg. But it's, it's cool that he wrote in a guy that wasn't really, you know, didn't know a lot. And right. Kind of, you know, people are sometimes are afraid to put themselves out there that what they don't know. So I think sometimes you can learn a couple things or two it's cool that uh that he wrote in he's uh, he's learned some stuff from us no question we'll write him thanks for uh for writing in and if any of you guys uh want to continue to do so again it's the best way to support the podcast it bumps us up in the rankings and makes us more visible on itunes and stitcher and wherever you tune in so uh really appreciate all the support yes pod bay lives on uh all right people let's keep this ball rolling here i had a great conversation with brandon bear last week i want to share it with you guys so let's get that going Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. Here now with Eagles defensive lineman Brandon Barron. Brandon, I want to talk about the stretch run play and how to defend it if you're a defensive lineman. And let's just first talk when you're to the front side, you know, to the play side, uh, defending against that run play. What are you trying to do as a defensive end? Well, first of all, you can't let the tackle get off to up to the outside linebacker or the inside linebacker. And so our responsibility is we get our hands on our, our guy, our man on key strike, and then just you know, play with the zone. And then from the backside, uh, if you see that the ball's going away from you, what's the first thing coming through your mind? Okay. <laughs> Once again, it's the same thing for us. Man on key, go with your man. Don't let him cut you off. You know, you got to be alert for a cuts on the backside because a lot of time on the backside of stretch, people are going to cut you. So just play with your hands. So when you think that there's going to be a cut coming your way, how difficult is it to be able to see, okay, there's a guy coming beneath me, but then also keep an eye on where the ball is as well and trying to chase that from behind? Well, if you focus on, I mentioned this earlier, your man on key, and you strike your man on key, if the guy in front of you is your man on key, he's the guy you have to play, he goes to cut, your hands are already on him, you put him to the ground, you keep going. So you you don't look in the backfield, you don't have to worry about that yet. That was some great stuff from Brandon, and I'll tell you what, I was not shocked at all to see him have the game that he had on Sunday against the Jets because, you know, watching him the past couple of years, I know, you know, Bo Wolf used to always make fun of all his age and all that, but look, the guy, whenever he's gotten a chance to play, he showed the ability to be strong at the point of attack. He's held up really, really well at the run game. He's not a dynamite pass rusher, but you don't ask that for guys at that position, and he just does such a good job in the run game. He's a really good two-gapper. He shows the ability to, to disrupt passing lanes because of his length, so... Uh, really, really good game there from Bear. Uh, I'm not a big fan of cliche, cliches that are used, sure. But he, uh, Dave Spadaro, get a, give a great quote. He is a pros pro. He, he is a pro. Sh- he shows up, does his job, doesn't complain. You know, he's he, whether he's backup, first string does not make make a difference to him. He just shows up and and uh, and, and represents. So, um, you know, I, I think he, not not a line guy, but he was brought in as one of those organ guys that yeah. people thought, oh, he just is here because people he's thought we were going to write him off. The, Absolutely. The guy can play. Uh, he's a huge, huge body. I mean, just when you stand he's next to him, man, yeah. you know, just doing that two technique, I'm sure you're like, holy smoke. So, um, you know, he guy came out and he just did his job. And uh, those pass deflections are – that's like a PBU. You know, it's yeah, basically like no a PBU. For, and if you had a cornerback that had three knockdowns, that's, that's a great stat. So, no question. Um, he obviously helped force that turnover by, uh, by Hicks. But uh, Bears, are, Bears are a great player. No question. So, uh, you know, great stuff there from Brandon. And, again, he was able to teach you guys about defending the stretch run play. So I want to pay it forward and teach you guys about downloading and subscribing to a podcast. So really what you're looking at is you go onto your phone, you go onto that smartphone, find your local podcast app, and you just go in and you search Eagle Eye in the Sky, and you hit subscribe. And now that show comes to your phone each and every week. You don't have to do anything. 
All you have to do is just go to that app and you open it up and the show's there waiting for you uh, every Wednesday morning or Tuesday evening, just depending on when you want to listen. But that's the, that's the beauty of it. You can listen whenever you want. You can listen uh, driving home from work, driving to work in the morning. When do you listen? I, you know, I typically listen on my commute to and from work, uh, sometimes when I'm walking my dog. So, you know, if I, if I have that, uh, if I'm the first one home, if my wife gets home after me, I'll take the dog on a nice long walk and I'll, I'll listen. To well, it. it makes you, you know, I like to do when I'm working out. It makes you kind of forget sometimes what, what you're, you're doing, doing because you're, right. li- you're, you're, you're paying attention to what's going on. You're like, man, I've been in the treadmill for, for half hour. So, uh, it's, it's just something to do. I like to use as, as not background noise, but like you said, commuting, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't want to drive. I'm like, oh, I'm more than welcome to give you a ride. I listen to the podcast. Listen so, to the podcast. Uh, I like to do it when I'm in the car and like you said, uh, kind of out and about or working out. Yep. No question about it. So. Uh, you know, it's really easy. Again, you go on, subscribe, and you get that to your phone each and every week. So uh, that's what you need to do for podcasts, for this podcast, for the Eagles Insider podcast. Uh, the Journey to the Draft podcast is coming back this week. You're listening to this possibly Tuesday night or Wednesday. At the end of the week, the weekend, I should say, at the end of this weekend, the Journey to the Draft podcast will be there. So look for that uh, on your phones this week, and you just go and subscribe. Uh, and also check out the College Draft podcast with myself and uh, Ross Tucker. So uh, b- before we wrap the show up, let's do it like we do every single week. Let's wrap it up with some college football talk. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Joining me this week on Saturday Scouting, one Matthew Zenitz, from the, an Alabama beat writer from the Alabama Media Group and AL.com. Matt, I appreciate the time this morning as we talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide and some of the top players available for that team this year. When you look across the board, just a ton of prospects, as you would expect from this team under Nick Saban. Uh, let's start first at the quarterback position. Uh, you know, There's been a lot of talk on the field about what Jay Coker can bring to the table. A Florida, tra- a Florida State transfer uh, was a backup to Jameis Winston as a, when he was in, in his true freshman year. What does Coker bring off the field? What kind of character does he bring? And how, how do the coaches uh, look at him in terms of his leadership capabilities? He was a good kid that's continued to improve through the first few games in terms of being a draft prospect. He's a marginal guy who, if I had to guess at this point, is probably an undrafted free agent that – that will have to compete for for a roster spot through that process. But he's a kid with a big arm. That there was a scout here last year that told somebody here Alabama was that Cooker has one of the better arms that he's seen in recent years. The, the problems with him is decision making. He's a senior but lacks experience. His first starting experience in college. He can be indecisive at times if his first read is taken away. And just like any new quarterback, any quarterback stepping into a starting role for the first time, there's an acclimation process, and he's going through that acclimation process right now. So you've seen some great throws as third touchdown pass against Louisiana Monroe last week was an NFL-type throw. He was under pressure, rolling to his right, delivered an absolute strike right where it needed to be near the sideline in the end zone for a 15-, 20-yard touchdown. The problem is that there were some other throws during the course of that game and during the course of the first few games that, honestly, the decisions to make those throws were somewhat head-scratching, and those decisions and throws led to some interceptions. So, He's getting better. That's something Nick Saban emphasized as recently as yesterday. But he'll face a big test 
this weekend going against the Georgia defense is very good. You know, and that's what's always I've always found to be interesting with Coker is that when he transferred from Florida State, Jimbo Fisher had nothing but nice things to say, both about him as a kid and then also in terms of his physical talents, that he had one of the strongest arms he had ever seen throughout his coaching career. And a lot of people expected, hey, he's going to jump in there with Alabama and take those reins after A.J. McCarron. He, didn't, he came in in August last year, didn't win the starting job from Blake Sims. So everyone kind of chalked that up to, all right, well, maybe he just arrived late and that was the deal of why he didn't win the starting job last year. But this year, I found it very, very interesting that he was unable to kind of secure that starting job both in the spring and then in the summer and then moving into the season, how they've been very, uh, at least up to the first couple games, they were very noncommittal there to Coker. Yeah, and just very much uneven dating back to the spring. And Jimbo Fisher, what he said, I, I'm still relatively new to the Alabama beat. I came down here in February. I covered the Ravens for three years and then college football and college basketball for the Baltimore Sun last year, University of Maryland football and University of Maryland basketball. So my, my understanding or what I knew about Coker dated back to what he did at Florida State. I remember Jimbo Fisher saying that he was right in the thick of that competition with Jameis Winston. Jameis obviously went on to do what he did. So naturally coming down here, I expected Jay Coker to, to be able to establish himself as the guy. And I viewed him as the clear frontrunner to win that job. And this competition really extended through – the Ole Miss game. Coker didn't even start the, the Ole Miss game, which was Alabama's third game of the season. The other quarterback, Cooper Bateman, struggled some early in that game. They brought in Jay Coker during the latter part of the second quarter, and while, they, while there were some issues, there were a couple interceptions, probably should have had a, a couple more, just showed toughness, resolve, some of the armed talent that we just talked about, and that helped secure him another start, and it looks like he's the guy now going forward, but like I said, that the game, the game this weekend against Georgia will be a significant test for him, and I'm curious to see how he does. Sharing the background with Coker, uh, you've got Derrick Henry, the junior running back, who's obviously one of the more physically imposing players at his position in the entire country, and then Kenyon Drake, the senior, who's a bit more explosive and is more versatile in terms of what he can do as a receiver. Of those two guys. Who do you see as the top dog in that backfield from a leadership character standpoint? Who is the guy that kind of keeps the rest of that position group in line? I would say Derek. Kenyon is respected also, but Derek is the lead dog in terms of that backfield and kind of a quiet kid, but at the same time respected based on what he does on the field and off it a high-character guy that does a great job in the weight room in terms of his preparation and and has established himself as one of the top running backs in not only the SEC, but probably the country, and players respect him based on that. And even after Jay Coker threw a, a pick last week, Derek was one of the players that went over to him on the sideline and just tried to keep his head up after making the mistake that he did that led to that interception. And then one of, uh, one of Coker's biggest receivers here uh, in terms of talent and in terms of his playing experience, junior tight end O.J. Howard, a guy that a lot of people uh, may remember from his true freshman season, took that quick slant to the house against LSU in that huge game between those two programs. Howard was asked to be more of a blocker last year in his sophomore season uh, and seems to have developed more in that area. We know what kind of athlete he is. What kind of person is O.J. Howard? What does he bring from a leadership standpoint? How has he matured during his time there uh, in Tuscaloosa? O.J. is another great kid. I really enjoy O.J., really personable 
and just an engaging kid that, that comes across as genuine in terms of what he says and what he does. And they had a down sophomore year last year. It was expected to really take off after some of the flashes that there were during the course of that freshman season, including the, the play against LSU. And I don't think it was until the fifth game of the season last year when he finally called his first pass. There were some some notable down moments like Alabama's loss to Ole Miss. OJ was beaten by a 5-8 corner, Sanquist Golson, for a 50-50 ball in the end zone. There was a, a penalty by AJ that preceded that play. And just as a whole, I mean, he was a first team or preseason first team all SEC guy and finished the season with 17 catches, no touchdowns, had issues as a blocker. So, I mean, OJ was was very much honest and open just about how frustrating last season was for him and seemed determined to to take a step forward this year and have probably the kind of season that people were expecting last season. And he's taken that, that noticeable step forward, has been better as a blocker, has had some key blocks on some of Derrick Henry's early touchdown runs at, on one against Middle Tennessee. They engaged with a Middle Tennessee defender around the 10-yard line and pushed them backwards right right into the end zone from that 10-yard line, probably midway through the end zone. And just as a pass catcher, he's been reliable and continues to show some of the athleticism that he already had during the early part of his career. He's a 4-5-9 guy in the 40, which is obviously a great time for somebody 6'6", 245. is a 400-pound bencher and just a great all-around athlete. And whenever it comes time to test out it, the, the combine and or his pro day will – do nothing but help himself when it comes to that point. Yeah, that'll be a very interesting process for Howard when he does decide to enter the draft because of that athleticism, because of the character that you spoke so highly of, and then also just of the development that he's made uh, in the run game as a blocker. So that'll be very interesting to watch here with Howard. Uh, switching over to the defensive side of the football, uh, obviously the unit that is more uh, in focus here with Nick Saban and his background. We'll start on the defensive line. You've got such a talented group, and it starts with uh, the junior, Ashawn Robinson. Is he the guy that coaches view as, as the, the leader of that group, or is there another one of these players, maybe a senior, you know, a guy like Darren Lake, somebody who kind of takes the reins and, uh, and leads that position room? I think Jaron Reed is emerging as not only one of the leaders of the defensive line, but one of the leaders of the defense and the team. Jaron, in my opinion, is one of the more underrated players in, in the SEC, possibly one of the more underrated players in the country, and I think is going to be an early-round pick in next year's draft. has been a consistent standout during Alabama's four, first four games. It isn't an elite pass rusher, probably, even though he had a sack and an additional quarterback hurry during the course of the last game, but a really, really good run defender that that, that began to emerge or progressively emerge during the course of the season last year, a former junior college transfer. And this year, like I said, has been a consistent standout for them. has been a defensive player of the week, one of their defensive players of the week after each of their first four games. And Jaron, somebody else that I think will test out well athletically. Jaron's dropped probably 10 to 15 pounds since last season. He was 320 last year, around 305 right now, still benching 500 pounds during the spring before he had dropped the weight, was a five-flat guy, a 505 guy in the 40, which is obviously a decent time for somebody 315, 320, whatever he was at that point, just a really good player that's still, even despite what he's done, kind of off the radar at this point. Ashawn's a good player too, though. Ashawn's going to be a very, very high pick. 
probably possibly a top 15 pick and has done some good things also. But Jaron, I, I think you'll start to hear a little bit more about the, the deeper that we get into SEC play and the closer that you get to draft time. And then looking at the linebacker position, it certainly seems like Reggie Ragland on the field uh, is going to be next in the line of, one of the, some of these Alabama linebackers with the High Towers and the Mosleys and some of the other talented players that have come out of that position from that university. Uh, what does Ragland bring off the field? How much is he uh, looked up to by the rest of that defense? So I think Reggie might be the primary leader on the team, a high-character kid that's is really respected and that's somebody else that we really enjoy dealing with from media standpoint. So last year was the first year that, that Alabama beat writers gave out a media good guy, and last year it was Cyrus Jones. I think Reggie may be the favorite this year, just a really good kid to deal with. It's very much the the team spokesman, the, the combination of Reggie and center Ryan Kelly, although the two team spokesmen among players with Cyrus may be a, a close Third, uh, Reggie, a, a good kid and a talented player that received a second-round grade from the NFL Draft Advisory Committee last year. No, nobody would have would have doubted his decision to go pro internally at Alabama, but comes back and and has done well during the course of the first four games and has a chance to not only go in the second round, but possibly even the latter part of the first round if he continues to play like he has during the first month of the season. Well, you brought up Cyrus Jones, the senior cornerback. Uh, obviously winning that good guy award last year speaks to, to his character. Can you just give us a little bit more about Jones and what he brings to the table? Yeah, kind of carries himself like an underdog, an undersized kid to a certain degree. He is in a 6'2", 215-pound corner. He's 5'10", 190 pounds, and feels like he's consistently doubted and has something to prove and you can sense that competitiveness whenever he speaks and if you watch him on the field you can just see it in the way that he carries himself and Cyrus isn't probably an elite prospect right now probably somewhere in that middle round range middle to late round type guy but he's doing well early on probably better than I thought he would coming off of a hip labrum last season that he suffered leading up to the year played the entire season last year played his entire junior season with a torn hip labrum got that repaired earlier this year in january missed all the spring practice came back during the course of the uh, of the fall of preseason practice and i expected there to be some rust early in the season and if there has been it hasn't been noticeable so far Whenever I watched Jones last year, uh, I couldn't help but notice as well Eddie Jackson in the secondary uh, played corner last year, moved to safety this fall after losing Landon Collins last year and HaHa Clinton Dix the year before uh, from that safety position. Can you tell us a little bit more about Jackson and uh, what he brings away from the field? Yeah, we, we haven't really dealt with Eddie that much uh, away from the field, kind of a quiet kid. He's not one of the primary players that they bring out media-wise during the course of the week. But Eddie Lester had a difficult season. They torn his ACL during the spring last year and managed to come back and play, I think, in all but one game last year. And, and there were some issues stemming from the knee. He wasn't, as I'm sure you can imagine, the, the same player after suffering that significant of a knee injury just several months earlier. And, I mean, while he was able to start and – and be a contributor for them. There, there were some some very much down games like Auburn. He was exploited a decent amount by Sammy Coates and or the combination of Sammy Coates and 
at Duke Williams and di- didn't take the step forward largely, probably due to the, the knee injury and some of the limitations that come along that came along with dealing with that. Then many people thought he would coming off of a strong freshman season. They moved him to corner, or they moved him from from corner to safety during the spring this year. Eddie was surprised by the move at first, but he's had some standout moments during the early part of the season in safety, and as I'm sure you can imagine, is getting progressively more comfortable there the more that he plays that position. So Artie has an interception, has a forced fumble that, that he recovered, and is doing some good things in the back end of Alabama's defense. And that safety group had been a concern before switching Eddie over there. They lost Landon Collins and Nick Perry from last year, and and the combination of Eddie and Geno Smith has helped alleviate some of those concerns. Matt, last question for you. Uh, who is next? Who's coming up the pipeline here at Alabama? I think a lot of people know uh, the, the true sophomore left tackle, Cam Robinson, who started uh, a good amount of time last year as a true freshman in the blind side. Is there another player there uh, that's a not draft eligible yet, but uh, will be one of the next Alabama greats coming down here uh, for the Crimson Tide? I would say Cam is the primary one. Cam was <laughs> was one of the best left tackles in the SEC last year, probably one of the best left tackles in the country as a true freshman. Held his own against Dante Fowler and some other guys that did some significant damage during the course of last season. I think Cam is one of the top left tackles in the country right now, and whenever he is draft eligible next year, if, if and when he comes out following next season, has a chance to be a high draft pick if he continues to play like he has. Matt Zenitz from the Alabama uh, Media Group and AL.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at MZenitz. I appreciate the time here for joining me here on Saturday Scouting. No problem at all, Great stuff there from Matt. Again, you can follow him on Twitter, at Matt Zenitz. That's Z-E-N-I-T-Z. And while you're at it, I'm at FW3. You can give me a follow. I love going back and forth with fans and talking about football. I tweet out links to this podcast, all other podcasts I'm a part of, the Eagle Eye in the Sky column, which is now uh, four times weekly, the the Saturday scouting piece that goes up every Saturday morning right before college football starts. Uh, you know, and I cover a whole lot of matchups on that piece. I think I do five a week there. So, uh, you know, just uh, follow me on Twitter and we'll, we can talk talk things through. So college football, I need a, I need a, I need some matches to look at this week. What we need do you some matchups to look what at. What do you got? Okay, give uh, me something to look for. You're putting me on the spot here. I was not prepared for this whatsoever. So I've got three. We've <laughs> uh, <laughs> got um, Will Ferrell and uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Angerman. I can't play. I don't have a <laughs> flute on me. <laughs> um, you know, really, to me, it's probably the biggest matchup. And one of the guys that I thought is just probably the best at his position in, in the nation is Pittsburgh wide receiver Tyler Boyd. Uh, who is a good athlete. He's got good size. Uh, he's been a standout player since his true freshman year. He's a true junior now. Number 23? Uh, yeah, he's got a weird number. I, 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 I remember seeing his number. I'm thinking, a wide receiver with 23. That's he's, a, he's an absolute stud. Reminded me in some ways to Odell Beckham, uh, just because of his ability to catch the ball. I mean, he's he makes things look easy. Just going up and just, you know how like Odell Beckham like catches it and he looks like he's catching like a tennis ball? Like yeah, He just yeah. makes it easy. He's catching a golf ball. This guy, that, that, Boyd has a little bit of that in him. He's not like I'm sorry, he's not Odell Beckham, but has some traits. Kind of reminds me of him. Um, he goes up against Virginia Tech, who's got a, a good group of corners. It sounds like Kendall Fuller, who I think is the last on the line of these Fuller brothers. <laughs> uh, it sounds like Kendall Fuller is going to be out, but uh, Brandon Faison is a redshirt sophomore. I want to say, and he's a big kid who can run. So uh, you know, Boyd versus Faison could be interesting. 
Uh, it's a shame Fowler doesn't look like he's going to play, but uh, I would say Boyd is probably the best receiver in the country. It, to me, I think he might. Over, if he's over not, Duke. Over Duke for sure. I over definitely Duke. like him over Duke Williams. Um, I like Duke Williams' size. I mean, I, and I know he's not explosive, you know, right. super explosive down the field, but I just feel like his size – I'm, I guess I'm saying more translating to the next. Sure, level. sure. I don't. I, I've never. I haven't seen a lot of Boyd, so I don't want to. Yeah, no. This kid. He's actually. You know what? I watched Boyd. Best the, receiver. I watched Boyd with with uh, with Chris Stevens, our one of our esteemed producers. Peaches, aka Peaches. Toast. Yes, that's right. Um, aka Peaches and lose, toast. A, lose the SD card. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I, I watched Boyd, and Boyd is just so talented. And then uh, you know, you look at at that Clemson Notre Dame game you brought up earlier. Jalen Smith, you know. Might be the best linebacker I watch because Miles Jack, I think, is right there with him. Miles Jack and Jalen Smith, and there's a, a slew of other guys that I would put in that category as well. I love Reggie Ragland from Alabama. Uh, you know, there's there's a couple other guys that I would put up in that up in that tier. But Jalen Smith, I, is, he's just a freak, and he's so physical at the point of attack to go along with that athleticism. He's instinctive as well. He goes up against the Clemson running back and Wayne Gallman that a lot of people are really high on. I know Josh Norris, a friend at uh, NBC Roto World, is a big fan. Um, and I, I liked Galman. I thought that there were some areas I would like to see him improve, but he's got an, abil- an opportunity this week to go up against one of the best linebackers in the country. I, I saw a tape of uh, they were comparing uh, Smith to uh, Mike Trout in terms of how he covers, just 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 showing his technique, how he really? how he can cover cover space. What was this on NBC? It was actually on ESPN. Oh, okay, but uh, they were saying you know Trout brings a thing to bring his skill set to the table that a lot of guys don't have. He can he can cover ground, jump. You know, so they were showing him robbing right. a home run. And they just showed uh, they showed Smith covering um, from the game last week, covering an option where he covered the quarterback, then covered the the pitch, and Dude, it was unbelievable how he covered that space. And then they showed him in coverage. So, if, if I, this kid right now looks like he's ready. Dude, when they so like last year, I watched him right, and there would be a play where he was lined up in the a gap as if he was going to blitz at the snap of the ball. Bales, Bales, and he's playing as a single high safety. I, I did see him play. They, Unbelievable. They, they, yeah, and then they showed a tape of him just crushing a receiver from, from UMass Dude, across. I mean, it was – he's got he, – usually you see a guy and he just dominates a specific area. This guy's got a skill set that's kind of like, you know, he's got the five tools. You yeah, know? He's, he does everything really well. So uh, the, third one, yeah, the third one that I would go with, I would look at Texas A&M's wide receivers. And they've got a couple – you know, everyone talks about Speedy Noyle. And, Kirk. Uh, yeah, they've got, they've got a number Christian of receivers Kirk. down there uh, that stand out. Josh Reynolds is a guy who's, who's draft eligible that I, I like Josh Reynolds. He's a big kid that can run, got really good movement skills. Ricky Seals-Jones, I think, got a lot of the headlines when he first got there. Was Love a big guys time with three recruit. names. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, I would say that he was pretty underwhelming when I watched really? him. Really? I think he's, he, might, he might be a tight end at the next level okay. of receiver just because he, I, I didn't think he ran really well. Right. Big kid, and he, there were some issues as well uh, in terms of consisting with his hands and, and running routes. So. That'll be a big question with Ricky Seals-Jones. But goes up against Mississippi State this week, and they've got one of the most physically talented cornerbacks, especially in the senior class, and uh, Will Redmond. who um, I remember him last year. Yeah, he made a number of big plays for them last year. Never started. This, this, year, this season is his first year as a starter, um, but he's got great speed. He's got good size. He's got great quickness, ability to play the ball in the air. He had that big interception. I believe it was in the Egg Bowl last year yep. against Ole Miss yep. uh, down in the corner in the end zone. Right so in the corner. He's got, uh, he's got really good ball skills. He's got complete package, but kind of like how we talked about with Jalen Collins, it's like, all right, well, how come he only started? He, how come he's not starting What's until the right now? What's right. the reason behind that? So Now, do you, is he a guy that he lines up a specific spot, or will he take a guy? From what I remember, and I don't have my notes in front of me on him, but from what I remembered – 
he played both inside and outside. So okay. I, th- I think they did move him around. And I know that since he didn't start, he came in a nickel. nickel right. And I believe there were times where they moved him into the slot, but then other times where another corner would move in. So I think they moved him around. But uh, very talented player, no question. So it'll be a tough test for those Texas a Sounds like some good matchups. i got some stuff to watch. Yep, no question. All right, well, let's wrap the show up again. Thanks to, uh, to, to Greg Cosell, to Brandon Bear, to Matt, Matt Zenitz, and all of you out there listening, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the mobile app. If you're listening on those two platforms, by the way, just go and subscribe to the podcast, and you don't have to go and hunt this this uh, this show down Do each it. week. But uh, thank you again. If you get the time, go on, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, and shoot us a question. I want to hear from you guys and keep everybody happy. So wherever you listen, just go and shoot us a comment. We can keep making this show better each and every week. Really appreciate all of you out there that spread the word on social media. So all that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. From my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.